we have a responsibility to watch our thoughts, to guard our thoughts, uh, because that's where everything surfaces from. Then we got together and we started a ser started not last week, but the week before, on the second part or the second installment in the Character Under Construction series, and that was constructing your heart. Constructing your heart. We learned a new term called wax gross, right? Wax gross. And wax gross meant to be enlarged, uh, to thicken, to stupefy, right? And we were talking about all the dangers that happen with someone whose heart waxes gross. They may not be able to see what God is doing in their lives, right? They may not be able to hear um, the Lord speaking to them. They may not be able to heal. And for the unbeliever, it could mean that they thicken their heart or callous it to the point where they are unable to receive uh, salvation because they have blocked off that avenue between them and God. But what I want to do is t switch gears a little bit today as we look at part two of this character under construction series, um, the installment about the heart. If you would flip over in the Old Testament to the book of Jeremiah. If you would flip over in your Bible to the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 17. Last week we talked about constructing your heart and why it's important for you to guard it. This week I want you to pay special attention. Because last week we talked about guarding your heart. Today I want to talk to you about guarding yourself from your heart. I want to talk to you about guarding yourself from your heart. So last week we said guard your heart, right? This week, we're talking about guarding yourself from your heart. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. It says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. If you're the kind of person in this room that says trust your heart or ask the question what's your heart telling you I'm gonna have to ask you to stop I'm gonna have to ask you to stop stop it right now because you're being led and are leading people down a very dangerous path what if I were to tell you that trusting your heart was a bad thing what if I were to tell you that your heart does not have your best interest in mind what if I were to tell you that it's actually against you and that if you're not careful it will beguile you and lead you astray what if I were to tell you that you need to be on guard against your heart we're gonna talk about why let's pray our gracious and heavenly father we thank you for this day I pray that you would use this message speak to them the way that you spoke to me Lord and we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all in Jesus precious and holy Son's name we pray and we're thankful amen we've all heard it we've all heard someone say you know, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. All the love ballads have it in there. They're all talking about using your heart to, to guide you and direct you. That's a bunch of garbage. It's a bunch of garbage because we have insight, right? The Bible gives us insight to the heart and lets us know that the heart is not on our side. I want to give you three reasons why you shouldn't trust your heart. And then I'm going to couple that with giving you four quick reasons of how you can guard yourself against it, right? Because you may say, Pastor, aren't you contradicting yourself a little bit? You told us to guard our heart last week. Why are you telling us now to guard ourselves from 
our hearts. And that's why Jeremiah 17 gave us a really great synopsis on why that is. So let's dive right into that, and I hope that when we get done with it, we will be able to um, clarify some of those questions that you may have had. All right, number one, if you're a note-taking person, why should you guard yourself against your heart? Number one, it's deceitful above all things. It's deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, first off says that heart is deceitfully wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things. Deceit is defined as guilty or misleading others. Guilty of misleading others. The point is that you cannot trust it. You can't trust it. The Bible says to keep your heart with all diligence because out of it are all the issues of life. That is a blessing and a curse. That is a blessing and a curse. A great way that you can, that you can match this up is emotions. Emotions, you cannot trust emotions. Emotions are, are fickle. Emotions will drive you to make impulse decisions. They'll, they'll drive you to do stuff that's not going to be wise because you're angry or because you're sad or, or because what's going on in your life. You cannot trust emotions because emotions will come and go. That's why it's important for you know, to you to know the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness is an emotion. Which means happiness can come and happiness can go. Joy is a long-term entity. Joy, by definition, is believing. Biblical definition is believing and understanding that God is sovereign and that he has it all under control. So what does that mean? You can have joy but not be happy. Does that make sense? You can have joy and not be happy. Why? Because happiness will come and go. I love my wife to pieces. But sometimes I'm not in the mood for my wife. You know what I'm saying? My wife is nuts. I'm glad she's not in here right now because she would have thrown something at me by now. I love her to death. And, and coming home to her is one of the greatest parts of my day. And getting in bed next to her is one of the greatest parts of my day. I, I love it to death. But sometimes I'm just not in the mood to be lovey. What am I saying? The emotion to cuddle up and to be all, all that stuff is not always going to be there. But I love her still. What does that mean? As I continue to practice the action of love, what does that mean? The emotion of it will always come back. The cuddly seasons will always come back. Right? Happiness is the same way. Joy, if I understand that God has everything under control, although my circumstances in the moment might be trash, they might be disheartening, they might be things that, that try to bring me down, I might not have a smile on my face, but that can be a smile in my soul because I know that God, in the end, will have it under control. That's when I start thinking about verses like, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That's when I start thinking about the verses that say, be still and know that I am God. That's when I start thinking about the verses that says that the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. That's when I start thinking about, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's when I start thinking about the, uh, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not to give you an expected end. I start thinking about all those verses. I try to meditate on what the Lord is saying to me and what the promises that he's given me because even though my circumstances have riddled me unhappy, I still have joy in the Lord. It would be wise for you to know the difference. Pastor, what does that have to do with the sermon? You got to watch out for your heart because once your heart tells you you're unhappy, 
it's going to do whatever it can to make it be so. You got to be careful. Your heart will convince you that what it's telling you is right and you couldn't be more wrong. Trusting your heart um, is to walk after the flesh. It's impulsive. It wants, you to, it wants to be fulfilled in that moment and not a minute later. It will do whatever it takes to get you to succumb to what it needs. It will tell you that you love someone so that it can be consumed upon lust. You know that lust and love are not the same thing? Lust and love are both technically the word love. They just have different roots. We get the word lust is where we get our word eros from. And erroneous. It, it, it means to deviate from, from the original. It's a perversion of its original counterpart. And so what will happen is, you over there burning, and so what it will do is it will use that lust to tell you that you love her. It'll use that lust to tell you that you love him when you really don't. You really don't, but it'll, it'll try to, it'll tell you that impulse because why? It wants to fix a need whether you feel alone or you desire intimacy or whatever it may be. It's going to try and get you to, to, to cleave to that even though it's not real. You have to be careful about that. It'll tell you to buy something you don't need in order to fulfill an impulse. It'll be that you just was driving down the street in your 1998 Volkswagen. You have to fix it every other week. If you, you hope that the light doesn't last more than 15 seconds because if you hit 16 seconds, your car is going to shut off. And right around that time, right around that time, you see a nice, gorgeous 2018 Dodge Challenger Hellcat pull up next to you. And it's all black, black rims, black. You know, it's got lights underneath it, and you're over here, and your car's like, pop, 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 pop. You know what I'm saying? And so you're over here, and your car is just, you don't have no AC, and it's, a, it's in the middle of, the, of June. It's 115 degrees. You're sweating, boy. You know, you have to bring a change of clothes so that you can change to when, when you get to where you're going. And right at that time, you know that it would be fiscally unwise for you to lease a new car. But because of the impulse that you have, you go over to the Dodge dealership and you go buy a new truck that you cannot afford or you can't afford, but it's going to cost you other things. The heart is deceitful. It'll tell you to make decisions that, that because it wants to feel secure. It wants to feel secure. There may be things in your life that you may lack right now. That And by the way, can I tell you this? I want you to write this down. Wanting what the Lord has for you outside of his timing is covetousness listen to me wanting what the Lord has for you outside of his timing is covetousness I'm 27 but if the Lord has something for me at 30 and I want that thing for my life at that was meant for me at 30 now I am coveting something that technically isn't mine I am wanting something that isn't mine. The heart, in order to feel secure, is going to tell you, like, man, you need to go ahead and make that move. Go ahead and switch jobs, even though you don't have that security. Go ahead and, and like I said before, buy that new car. Go ahead and, and switch in that relationship. Go ahead and do all these. It'll tell you to do things on impulse. Can I remind you? I, actually, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to get ahead of myself. It doesn't matter what the motive is. It'll get you to do things. It'll trick you into doing it. And you need to guard yourself from your heart because it's deceitful. 
So number one, why you should guard, your heart, guard yourself against your heart is because it's deceitful above all things. Number two, why you should guard yourself against your heart is because it's desperately wicked. It's desperately wicked. Look at verse, um, look at verse 9 again. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What I want you to know is that the heart is never going to want the good stuff. It's never going to want the proper stuff. It's never going to want it's never going to want the stuff that's going to draw you closer to God. As we mentioned before, the heart is on a track to fulfill its own desires. What does the Bible say? A man is tempted when he is drawn out of his own lust and enticed. You have to be careful because the the heart is going to want to feel those impulses and not 9 times out of 10 it's not going to be the godly ones. The Bible lets us know that we can't trust ourselves because if we do it, we'll end up at a place where we are our own demise. Pastor, what do you mean? Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Not to trust your heart, but trust your Lord. Trust the Lord with it. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end thereof are the ways of death. Your heart is going to say, man, this is what we should do. I'm going to, you know, trust your heart. Let, go with what it's telling you. And you can risk it. But there is a way that seems right unto a man. But in the end are the ways of death. Church, how many of you guys understand that I'm big on transparency? You understand, right? Right? I tell y'all that like once a week. All right? One of my mentors this week had to tell me, um, he, I struggle with anxiety. All right, I struggle with anxiety. Um, it started my sophomore year of college. And uh, sophomore year of college, just I went through some emotional trauma. And um, from that point forward, it's been a battle, especially when it comes to big decisions, um, especially when it comes to big changes. Uh, but I have that issue. And so one of my mentors had to tell me this week, he said, he said, X, you got you to gotta understand that you can't trust the feelings that you get when your anxiety flares up. It's going to make you panic. It's going to make you worry. It's going to make you stress. And those, that's going to, he said, you got to get that under control before anything else because you have to realize that you're not going to be able to make effective decisions in that mode because your anxiety is not the Holy Spirit. And that's something that I have to tell myself sometimes. Is this feeling that I'm struggling with right now, is this the Holy Spirit telling me that this shouldn't happen or should? Or is it my anxiety that's flaring up and scaring me? And so we have to be, we got to be careful about it. It's desperately wicked. You need to know that the heart is in cahoots with the devil and with the flesh and with the world. And y'all are like, man, pastor, why are you doing my heart like that? Why are you talking about my heart like that? Why do you think that God tells us to keep it? I started last week telling you that he says to keep your heart, to guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it are all the, dishes, all the issues of life. So what that means is that you have to do your best to minimize all the junk that can get, you know, stuck up in there. Right? What does David say? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. He didn't say, Lord, see how good I am. That's not what he said. He said, search me, why? To see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the, in the, in the ways everlasting. He says, you need, we have to understand that the heart at its natural root is not going to be on the side of spirituality. The spirit is willing, but finish it, somebody. 
The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. It is not a strong entity. It is full of impulse. It is full of self-gratification. Then the Bible comes down and lets us know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So you have to watch the heart because the heart on the root is going to have a lot of say. It's going to have a lot of say. Number one, you can't even trust it because it's deceitful. It's wicked. But we naturally will act out of how we feel versus how we know. We'll act, how, we'll act on how we feel versus on how God says we should act or how we should, you know what I'm saying? I, I quote that verse in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 about, you know, be, being careful for nothing and the peace that passes understanding to myself all the time, every week. I, didn't, I thought I understood what Dr. Riggs did as a pastor. Uh, I, spent, I spent literally um, for the last five years, roughly six days with him a week hours at a time and I thought I had an, I thought I had a good idea and boy was I wrong boy was I wrong man you should see my calendar right now and then I had this really wild idea that idea that I should go back to school so that definitely helped right um, so my schedule is just crazy there's a lot going on and I'm realizing every week I'm having to tell myself you have to trust the Lord on everything pursue him on everything let him guide. Don't worry about how you feel. What do you know? What's you know what I'm saying? So those are a lot of the things that I'm that I that I personally that's the season that I'm in right now. The season that I'm in right now is having to remind myself that the spirit of God is way, 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 way stronger than the anxiety that couples it. Because the heart is desperately wicked. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak it. Whatever whatever is in your heart is going to come up. Whatever's in your heart is going to come up, and you're going to have to watch it. The heart is the heart is like a gas tank that gets filled with the wrong stuff, and and if that happens, you're on a fast track, fast track toward uh, destruction. The wrong people, the wrong places, the wrong entertainment, the wrong philosophies, all that stuff. And listen to me, this is not a message. This is not a message on the do thou shouts and thou shouts nots. That's what it, that's not what it's about. This message is about you reaching in the fire for yourself. You reaching in the fire so that you can save yourself. Because in a room this size, I'm not going to doubt that uh, many people in here are dealing with different things in their lives, different changes, different griefs, different, different, you know, stuff that goes on. And I understand because we're humans and that happens. So what we have to do, and notice I said we, what we have to do is make sure that we understand that we have to pursue the Lord and allow him to guide us in every single decision we make because if we trust ourselves there's a big chance that we'll blow it there's a big chance that we'll blow it you know what I'm talking about when you when you have a deadline and you're getting close and God has not shown up yet church when I Valens, I blame my I blame Kalea for this 2014 I hadn't met her yet 2014 it was Valentine's Day me and my single roommates, we went to Hungry Howie's and grabbed four boxes of pizza. And we planned to just go back to the dorm and just kick it because we were alone and it was sad. So boys doing what boys do, we started wrestling, right? We started roughhousing in there and then what ends up happening is I end up breaking my foot, all right? Uh, tib tibia and my fibula snapped them both clean, all right? And that meant that I was going to spend the rest of my 
semester of my senior year, I'm taking 11 classes, 18 credits, working 17 hours a week. I had no room. I was barely getting enough sleep, much less snap my leg. And you guys have heard the story. But I remember that I had to get oxycotton and hydrocodone, and I was barely coherent. So I had to, there were days where I tried to fight the pain off as much as I could before having to take it because I knew that once I took it, I was going to check out. There were times where I got to class in the morning. My, um, I, a long time ago, I had a, a heart condition. It was called pericarditis. It's the inflammation of the pericardial sac around your heart. You have a little thin sac. And my anxiety I told you about in my sophomore year caused that. That's why the Bible says, a sorrowful spirit drieth the bones. Remember I told you that, right? And so, because of that, they had to ask my physician if it was okay to give me anesthesia so that I could get the surgery. Well, my doctor was out of the country for two weeks. She was in Europe. And so, for two weeks, I had a cast on. And it, the pain was so excruciating, I could, the medicine wasn't even working. Two narcotics weren't even working. There were days where I got wheeled to class and the pain was so bad I had to turn around and just go home. And I remember spending most of that semester, that last semester, just doped up and being out of commission while taking senior level classes. I'm talking about Revelation. I'm talking about you know, Hebrew history, we're talking about church history, and you may say, those don't sound like they're big classes, but man, I'm telling you, those were tough. And those were just three of 11. And I remember, well, I honestly don't remember most of that semester. But I remember getting, uh, you know how Facebook has those, anybody in here got Facebook? It's got those memories that pop up? And I, I saw a memory um, that popped up where it was my, I had to do a paper on God's grace through the tribulation period. Now we know the tribulation period is going to fill with, is filled with woe and sadness and death and chaos. And I had a task to show how God's grace is evident during that time. You know, on both of my narcotics, I got a 97 on that paper. That was, it was, it was crazy. And I, and I don't remember how, I don't even know how I got, how I did it. I know, I know that I used nine different resources to write that paper. I remember the, I remember getting to the library and, and having someone help me carry all of those books back to my dorm. I remember, I remember all of that stuff. I remember with all that happening that there were several classes that was definitely on the fence. Quizzes that I missed because I was too much in pain to, to go and I missed makeup days and all of that stuff and I wasn't sure. And I remember that it was three days before graduation. And I was in the lunchroom. I was on my crutches. The stewardess that was in the dining hall had to help me carry my lunch to my table because I couldn't carry it myself. And I remember my phone buzzed in my pocket. So I said, hold on one second. You know? So I uh, hold this for me. And so I, I reach in my pocket and I grab it. And it's an email from my school. And it says, congratulations, Xavier. You have been cleared by the registrar to walk for graduation. And I remember that I dropped my crutch and I fell on the ground and started crying. 
because I remember how hard of a semester that it was. I have no idea. It might have been pity. It just might have been straight up the grace of God. My heaviest course load of my entire college career was spent laid up. And when I thought there was no time, I was preparing myself to hear, sorry, you'll have to wait, actually, because some classes aren't even offered in the fall, so I, I would have had to wait one full year to try and graduate again. My heart could have told, my heart tried to tell me that it was over for you. But God had otherwise. God had other plans. And we can't trust the heart because it's wicked. And this is a, me this, again, this is not a, a message to help you to, this is not a, mention, a message about thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's about you reaching in the fire. But there's a third reason. We said the first reason why you had to guard yourself against your heart is because it's deceitful above all things. The second reason we said was because it's desperately wicked. But look at, look at verse 9 again. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The third reason, I think the most dangerous reason about the heart is this fact. Who can know it? You can't know your heart can't know it why can't you trust it because no matter how long I've been on this on this on this road of life for 27 years and many of you there are several of you in here that are double my age and maybe even triple my age but if you're anything like me you may not even realize that your heart is still something that you can't quite know pastor what do you mean the Bible literally says, who can know it? The biggest reason you can't trust your heart is because you can't know it. It's deceitful, it's wicked, but not knowing it is its most dangerous capability. Can I be transparent again, church? My biggest fear, all right? I'm going to be completely vulnerable to you guys. So if you judge me, I'll cry, all right? Completely vulnerable to you. My biggest fear is to lose my family and lose my ministry due to moral failure. That's my biggest fear. To lose my family and lose my ministry, I know that if that happens, that's it, that's it for me. You know what I mean by moral failure, church? That's because better men than me have lost their ministry because they decided to have relations with a woman in the church. I just heard a story today about something like that. I know a man who I looked up to who ended up, ended up coming out that he had had relations with girls in his youth department. Blew it. Blew his whole, lost his marriage, lost his kids, lost it all. Church, I'm letting you know that I don't struggle with any of those things. I don't. But the fact, but one of the biggest things that I tell myself is this. Don't ever think it can never be you when you get yourself to the point where you look at somebody if you look at I watched a video of today of a woman who got you know she, a, a DUI and what ended up happening she drove her car into a store and almost I'm glad no one got hurt really badly but some people did got minor injuries but you look at so many times that we look at people we look at the news we look at all the stuff and say wow Crazy. Crazy world we live in, right? 
But the moment you look across and see someone and say, wow, I could never do that, you are easy pickings. Now, church, what I want you to understand is I don't want you to, I'm not telling you to live in fear. You understand what I'm saying? I don't, I, I don't walk around and go, oh, I'm scared to, to stand over here because I don't want to commit adultery. I don't, I don't live like that. But what I am telling myself is that you have to be on guard against your heart because who can know it? Can I remind you about Romans chapter 1, church? When Paul gives us that complete in detail definition of what we are like without God, all that we are capable of, murderers, backbiters, sexual immorality, all kinds of stuff. We are incapable of the worst, we are capable, excuse me, of the worst stuff. You, at your root, remember, right, the Bible says your righteousness together is as filthy rags. Your best is not even close to God's worst. We are naturally vile and I'm not, an, I'm not a Calvinist, but one thing that they have right is the total depravity part. As by ourselves, apart from Christ, we're, there's no hope for us. That's how come I saw somebody hit a woman on the corner right here and drive off. That's how come I was able to, to see, we see on the news about people killing others in cold blood. And, and you know what I'm saying? That's, it's, it's, this world is wicked. But let that be a testament to you that all of us are one, listen to me, all of us in here are one bad day away from ruining our lives. You're one bad day away from it. You're one bad day away from losing your job and losing your home and then having to go to desperate measures to to survive. One bad decision away from losing your family. You're one bad decision away from losing your job. You're one, you know what I'm saying? I don't, and again, I don't want you to live in fear. I want you to be on guard against yourself. Because if you allow that heart to have free reign, you're in trouble. Why? Because who can know it? You know, the truth is, I don't know all of what Xavier is capable of. So I'm going to continually ask the Lord to wash that heart, to search that heart, to, to continually clean it out. Me and, me and Brother Mike over here, we, we did our oil changes a couple weeks ago. Was that a week ago, two weeks? Something like that. Week and a half? I don't know. Now, I could have just left my car how it was when I got it from the dealership. But what's going to happen? It's going to break my car down, right? So what do I have to do? Every three to 5,000 miles, I'm going to have to do what? Get that filter off. Drain it. Right? Put a new filter on. Put new oil in it. Why? Because sludge continually builds up. Church, you know where I'm going. You have to watch that heart of yours because he didn't say, search me and see if there's any great way in me. No, of course you got great characteristics. It's the wicked part you got to watch out for. You have to guard yourself against your heart because like a car engine, it is going to continually build up sludge. and So you're going to have to filter it over and over and over again because if not, you are capable of the worst stuff and the truth of the matter is I'm not worried about a murderer coming in here and killing me I'm not worried about someone sneaking into my home and trying to hurt me and my family I'm not worried about any of that stuff but I am the biggest opponent that I have is myself there's a greater chance of me ruining my own life than for me to get in a car accident or die 
or for my plane to fall from out of the sky, or for someone to jump a curve and hit me while I'm walking to the store, there's a greater chance of me ruining my own self than for those things to happen. What I want you to do is I want you to guard your heart. Why? Because if you guard your heart, then you can minimize the gunk that comes up in it. But then I want you to guard yourself against your heart because your heart is going to do whatever it can and persuade you as best as it can to ruin you. So how do you, so how do you guard yourself against your heart? Four quick things and I'm done. Time me. Five minutes. Here we go. Number one, walk in the spirit, not the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 simply says this. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The safest place that you can be is continually in the presence of the Lord. That's the safest place that you can be. You have to make sure that you stay as close to God. I remind you of that verse again. You're drawn out by your own lust and entice. Don't let it draw you out of the light into the darkness. The heart will try. Number two, trust in the Lord and not your heart. Trust in the Lord and not your heart. Don't let fear, don't let anger, don't let anxiety, don't let depression, don't let any of that stuff, don't let any of that stuff try to guide you because it's flawed. But God is not. His spirit is perfect and you're going to have to decipher, is this the Holy Spirit leading me or is this my insert whatever emotional trauma that you're dealing with guiding me? And know the difference. And know the difference. You have, to trust, you have to trust the Lord and not your heart. Number three, a little bit as I said before, learn the difference between the voice of the Lord and the flesh. I want you to write a, a verse down, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12. And that's the passage in the Bible when Elijah, Elijah's there. What happens? There's a loud thunder. There's an earthquake. There's a fire. But after that, what happens? Who knows? Anyone know? There's an earthquake, there's a fire, there's a loud thunder, and then the Bible says after this, a still, small voice. A still, small voice. You know why you need to, why you need to know the difference between the, the flesh or the devil or whatever is in that party and the Lord? It's because they speak differently. Can I remind you that the Lord is never going to be abrasive? He's not. The devil's going to say, go, do it, go, 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 run, go, do it, go, go, and pressure you. The Lord's going to say, hey, hey, go. Hey, hey, listen to me. Hey, you should do that. There's a difference. And if the voice in your head that's trying to do, insert whatever it is that you're dealing with, that you know is not right, you're going to have to decide which, discern which one of those voices is talking to you. Because when I'm at the gas pump and someone pulls up next to me, I hear, hey, you should go give that person a track. I know that's the Lord. Why? Because it's soft. It's, it, it's suggestive, but it's not demanding. It says, go. You should go, you should go do that. The devil's going to make you, he's going to push you in that moment to just, to just run. You can't, you don't know the difference. Is it, if it's loud and crazy, it's not the Lord. It's not the Lord. Number four and lastly, you're going to have to die daily. You're going to have to die daily. 
at Bible study at Starbucks this week. We are in Romans chapter 6. And Romans chapter 6 talks about how we were alive unto sin, but then we were buried with Christ in death, and then we were raised to life in life. In 1 Corinthians, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, Paul made a statement. He said, I die daily. And that was him literally having a discussion about actually being in jeopardy of death. You know, if you know Paul's life, Paul was, Paul actually, people tried to kill him on several occasions. Paul actually, his life was actually one where his life was literally in jeopardy every single day. So he says, I'm not worried about that. He said, in essence, he said, I'm not worried about that because I know my end. I know where to go. I'm good. He says, man, with that in mind, I die daily. The spiritual counterpart to that is, are you dying daily? Dying how? To yourself. I want to say this statement and then I'll be done. I want to be careful with how I say it. That is the same idea, but a more perverse version of it is suicide. Why do people commit suicide? Because they believe that what? If I'm dead, I can't hurt. But what do we know is that? That's not going to be the right way. Right? Why? Because you don't, there's no life after that. The counterpart, he said, listen to me. I died to sin, but I was raised to life. There's a difference. It's the same root. Does that make sense, church? It's the same root concept, except one of them does not have an outcome that's going to be good. The opposite side of it, Paul said, listen to me, I... What, is, what does it say in, in, six, in chapter 6, verse 1, Mike? It said, it said something like, uh, it said, how can you be a servant to something you have died to? How can... You died to it. That means it has no... In death, there is no more hold on it, but... It's not just death. It's buried with him in his death, but raised to walk in the newness of life. It's life is the key point here. And that you now, as a new creature in Christ, dying daily to yourself, crucifying that man, makes room for the new man that God has created, that new woman that God has created in you. Because here's the truth. That old man's a zombie. And he's going to try and raise himself up every day. And every day you have to put him back in his coffin. Because if not, you risk that heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked that you will never, ever, ever, ever completely fully know. Which means that if you don't know it, what do they say? Know your enemies. But if it's something that you'll never be able to completely and utterly know, you have, listen to me, no defense against it. So what's your defense? The Lord. And being with Him and walking in Him every day as much as you can, as close as you can. May we be like David when he said, Lord, I long for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Long to be close to the Lord. Why? Because if you know that if you're apart from the Lord, it's you're in dangerous territory. Again, this was not a message on thou shalt and thou shalt not. This is a message on you reaching in the fire 
and realizing the importance of you being as close to God as possible. Because the closer you are to him, the better you can hear him and you can trust him over yourself. Because both of them will try to fight for your attention. One of them lead to death. Let's pray.